have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up to Philippians. And this morning we're going to continue our study in uh, loving as children of God. What that actually looks like, what that means. Last week we talked about sacrificial love. This morning we're going to be looking at unifying love. Love that actually unifies the body of Christ and unifies His church. And one of the things that's really clear that we've seen is that our culture today is super divided. It's divided on all kinds of lines. It's divided in terms of political lines. It's divided in terms of racial lines. Even the church is divided. It's divided about how things should be approached in in a time of coronavirus and COVID-19. And some people are are really impassioned and emboldened about their feelings about how things ought to be done and what what should occur as a result of that. And so we just want to, as we're looking at that and we're thinking of that, is how do we respond to that as Christ? What has God called us to be as his church? And so my hope is that as we, we think about our own culture, that Christ has actually called his church to be a place of unity, to be a place that stands out, that looks different. It's to be a place where unity reigns and where God's love is reigning and walking us in a place of unity. And so I think we can move to a place where we feel somewhat hopeless and discouraged because at times or seasons in our life, we experience this kind of disruption, this disunity that, that kind of overtakes everything that we do. And we, we go out into our culture and our world, and I was listening to a, uh, a pastor this week who was sharing about how he was walking in town, and, you know, he's walking on one side of the street, another person was walking on another side of the street, and he was outside, and he had his mask off, and the person started yelling at him from across the street all these cuss words um, that, to put his mask back on. And the reality was just that, that we, have, we have kind of this both sides of spectrum that we see within our culture. We see the, the racial divide that exists, and we see the tension that exists, and it continues to exist. And how are we responding as a church? Because the truth is, is that this is an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reign. The hope to a world that is desperate, the hope that is to, to the world that is in need, it is not some miracle cure of, of sickness, and it's not some miracle cure of racial tensions. It's Christ. Because Christ is our unity. It's what takes those who are impoverished and those who have wealth, those who are of different skin color, those who are different education background and political belief, and it unifies them. And so this morning we're going to look and see what Paul had to say about unity that only results from love. So let's go ahead and stand. If, if you're with us, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to be reading from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a God a thing to be grasped, or with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men... 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us, Lord, in the power of your word, what loving unity really looks like. Father, may we be a church that's known for its unity, for its unity in Christ, having one mind and one love, you. And so, Father, this morning, we ask that your power would go forward. To God, that those who hear, that grace would be present, and that each of us would respond to your power today and the grace that you've granted through Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So, in the book of Philippians, it's written to the church of Philippi. And one of the unique things about Philippi was that Paul is actually writing that the followers of Christ might experience joy in the midst of their relationship with Jesus. And he understands that the church will face persecution. He understands that persecution will occur within the world. We know that because in chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul understood and recognized that there was going to be persecution in the world. As Christians, we have to understand that persecution will exist. We have to understand that our faith will cost. It costs Christ. It will cost us. It costs nothing for Jesus' salvation on our part, everything on his part. But after we respond to his grace, we are trading our life for his life. Then he kind of shifts this. And he takes his attention away from this kind of external conflict. And he moves it and he deals with this internal conflict. Because see, the conflict that exists, whether it's external or internal, have the the opportunity to rob the follower of Christ of joy and to lead to the dishonoring of God. And so Paul's saying, listen, here's how I want you to stand firm in the face of persecution in the world. But here's how I want you to walk in unity, to deal with conflict, to deal with differences within my church. And so in verse 1 it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The very first thing we see here is that 
he lays out the motivation in our unity. What's the motivation here for our unity as the body of Christ? It's the benefits of the gospel. It's the benefits of the gospel. Know what he says here. He says, if, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation or fellowship with the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy. See, he's not actually saying this is an uncertainty. What he's saying is that if, and it is true. That's actually what he's saying here. If, and it is true that you have encouragement in Christ. If, and it is true that you have comfort from his love. If, and it is true you have fellowship with the Spirit. And if it is true that you have any affection and sympathy, then we are to walk this out as he says. The motivation is the gospel. See, it's only through the gospel of Jesus that we have encouragement. Apart from the gospel of Christ, what does this life have to offer? Many of us have wondered at different times, how will our life end? But the truth is, is that Christ is saying, listen, I'm not so concerned about how your life ends. I'm concerned what happens when your life ends. There's security in Jesus because he says that for those that repent and believe on Jesus for their salvation, they have eternal life with Christ. That's encouraging. That means that whatever persecution I face, I have to stop defending myself. God's big enough to defend Him. We stand faithful. I remember years ago, I was sitting in a room and was visiting with my dad and, and his wife, and they had some friends over. And his friend was kind of a, a big, kind of belligerent guy. He was one of these guys that just argues for the sake of arguing. And I have to be really honest. I know my own spirit. It just rubs me the wrong way. And so I'm kind of like, I'll argue with you. Like, no problem. Like, and, and so he started making these jabs. And he, he started calling out these different things. And he started making these Star Wars jokes about faith. Man, it was riling me up. And I remember sitting in there, and I was getting so frustrated with him. And I, I just looked at him, and I remember thinking to myself, gosh, man, you're such a jerk. And... And I was getting snarky back. Like I was matching his wit for, you know, going back and forth and his sarcasm. And it was not good. And I remember we stood over in the kitchen. We walked in the kitchen and he walked by me and he goes, the force be with you. And I was like, oh, all I want to do right now is punch you in the face. Right? Nothing like gospel love to make that happen. Right? And the truth was, was God was working on my own heart. My call was to actually love him and to explain who Jesus is and why the gospel matters. God's big enough to defend his own character. My call was to, to represent the love of Jesus and to represent his truth. And so when we understand that the gospel gives us security, that the gospel gives us comfort, that regardless of whatever situation we're in, God has a purpose that his love, that regardless of where I feel like I'm unworthy to be walking in the steps that he's called me to walk in, we can have comfort because God has made us worthy through the cross. That he has a purpose that he's at work in and he's carrying out and he's fulfilling in our life. And we have fellowship with God now. 
with fellowship through the Holy Spirit. We have understanding because of the Spirit. We can love when we used to no longer love. We can have self-control when we used to no longer have self-control. We can be kind when we used to not be kind. I look at the guy that I was 25 years ago. And that guy was not a kind guy. He was a brash, cocky, arrogant, unloving, mean person. But because of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit changing my own heart, and then we've experienced the mercy of God, that's what his affection is. So when we understand the encouragement that we have in Christ, when we understand the comfort that comes from His love, when we understand the fellowship we have the Spirit, and the mercy that's been granted through the cross, that becomes the motivation for being unified, not be divided. So the second thing then that we see is in verse 2, and it's the characteristics of our unity. The first thing that He gives us is the motivation for our unity, which is the benefit of the gospel. And then he gives us the characteristics of our unity. And it's two simple things. He says this, to be of the same mind, having the same love, and being full accord and of one mind. What's he saying? He's saying that we're to be like-minded, to be of same mind, that we're valuing and holding to the same beliefs and purpose. He's saying the church of Christ should value the same things. We're to have the same love. A love that points to the truth that we cherish one another in Christ. Unity is the result of, of being of one mind focused on Christ's purpose and His love so that we might love others. And then it says here, full accord and of one mind. And the idea there is it's the idea of having the mind of Christ. So what are we to be unified around? It's the mind of Christ. It's His purpose. I, I want to honestly ask this question. Over the last five months, have you been more concerned about the purpose and motivation of Christ or even more concerned about what's going on within our world. As a church, we will always run the risk of being divided when our eyes move to the culture rather than to Christ. Now, we should care about what's happening in our culture. We're citizens here, but we're also citizens of heaven. But the truth is, is that unity comes when we're focused on what Christ desires, what Christ says. And we're to love one another and cherish one another. It's a love that's supposed to be communicated and demonstrated. And so our unity is more than simply ascribing to a doctrinal statement, or joining together for worship, or carrying out a task together, but rather it's a joining of our hearts and minds in an expression of Christ towards one another. We express the love of Jesus to one another. We express His purpose to one another. We express His love to one another. 
and it becomes the focus of our faith. Unity in the church is marked by unifying around his purpose and around his love. What's his purpose? That we go to all the world. That we make disciples of all nations. That we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that we teach his commands and obedience to those commands. But what's his purpose? It's to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. To love our neighbor as herself. I'm guilty of that at times where, man, my eyes are so on the world, it's easy to get distracted. Ever had a conversation where you look at another believer and go, I can't believe, how did they ever get to that conclusion? They just did it my way, they did it the way I think they ought to do it. The truth of the matter is, we have freedom in Christ. But Christ's purpose has to be paramount. And the way that we fulfill that purpose is by loving others well. So, what's the barrier then to unity? Well, the barrier, it says in verse 3 through 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The barrier to unity is selfishness, which is loving ourselves more than Christ and others. That's what selfishness is. It's loving ourselves more than Christ and others and pride. Selfishness and pride are the barrier to unity. That selfishness is, is bound by us looking out for our own, for our own selves. And it really is a, a, a lack of love. Rather than focusing on what is best for Christ or Christ first and then others, we, we should be looking both first at Christ and then others and then finally ourselves. But when we're selfish, we look to have our needs satisfied first by what is most comfortable for us. So selfishness is marked by the fact that we look to meet our own needs before we meet God's needs or God's purposes and the needs of others. As Christians, we often always ask the question, how is this going to affect me? When we really need to ask, how is this going to affect others? Do you see the difference? It's easy as a church to to move into a place where we focus on what we desire and what we want. Years ago, I think a lot less today, but years ago, we used to see that within church congregations around how people should worship. What kinds of songs should be chosen. We can see it about what practices should be followed in a corporate gathering and how the church should be carried out. And the, the root of that selfishness is nothing but pride. It's the exact opposite of humility to which he calls us in verse 3. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
Uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Just listen to that. With all humility and gentleness. So he says, I call you to live out this calling I give you, but I want you to do it in humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to persevere the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Basically, we're not to be self-absorbed, but to consider other people's needs and desires before our own. Alexander McLaren, the old English preacher, puts it this way. He says, Our own interests, inclinations, possessions, when they assert themselves in our lives, build up impassable barriers between us and our fellows. To live to self is the real root of every sin, as it is of all loveless life. Wow. Pride is the result or result in what? A loveless life. What are you passionate about today? What are you most passionate about today? What most consumes your mind and your heart in this season? I know in my own life, there are times that I can look out and be frustrated by certain things that are taking place within our own culture. And, and then I'm reminded that we serve a sovereign God. And that God is doing awesome things right now. And that God often works when we're most uncomfortable. And my, my own heart and desire is to, to seek that, that comfort again. And yet what God's saying is, I want you to find my comfort, your comfort in me. You see, when we walk in selfishness and pride, we only see the world through our own personal lens and how it affects us. And we forget that God is working and continuing to work. I've watched in this season truth be manipulated by churches. To try to get what they think they want or need or what is best for them. We have to remember that God knew this day would come and that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. We walk in humility with one another. We walk in accordance with His Scripture, with His Word. We walk in love. So what's the example then of our unity? The example for our unity then is Jesus Christ. If we want to know how to do it, how to walk in unity with one another, Christ is our model. He's the one who empowers us, but he also demonstrates it. And so the example for our unity is Jesus Christ. It says in verses 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
he's saying here is that Jesus himself had the attitude that he's talking about and that we too are to have the same attitude and that that attitude produces unity in our relationship with him and with others. You see, the Greek word for form here took on the form of man is the word morphe. And this word refers to the outside reflecting the true essence and nature of a person. And then Jesus, he chose to become a man on our behalf rather than to cling to his divine rights. That's what he did. The way that Jesus humbled himself was he chose to to come down and take on the form of man, giving up, putting off, not pulling from, not clinging to His divine rights. Living by the power of the Spirit. Unity in the body of Christ is often going to have times where we feel like we've given up our rights. Jesus gave up his rights so that we might be unified with him. Humility puts Christ first, then others, then ourselves. It doesn't mean that we become doormats. It's not what it's talking about. What it's saying is, though, is that we process through things, that we look through things, that we allow Christ to shape our heart, and we love people well through it. And we love people through Jesus in the way that Jesus loved us. By laying down his life for us, even unto death. William Barclay put it this way. He said, the serenity, the peace, the glory of divinity, voluntarily and willingly he gave up in order to become man. He humbled himself. He didn't, he didn't, he was no less God. He didn't push that off. What it's saying here is he didn't pull on the power of his divinity. He set it aside when people were crucifying him and they said, get off that cross if you're truly the Messiah. He could have instantly come off the cross. Think about that for a minute. When my boys were younger, I have one that talks a lot of trash when we play sports. And I'll be really honest with you guys. As a prideful, competitive guy, at times going easy on him became very hard. Honestly. And there were times that he, we're playing together and he's talking garbage, and I'm just like, dude, do I actually let him win this game? To, like, oh, nope, not happening this time. Right? Pride getting in the way. Right? Not wanting to die to self in that moment and go, Dude, this is so wrong. I think that's how we are sometimes with Christ. Because we we want justice, and because our pride gets in the way, we focus on the things that Christ is not calling us to focus on. He's not calling us to be impassioned about certain things. What He's calling us to be impassioned about is His purpose, 
and his love and being united in his purpose in love. So this church might be unified. I was talking with a person that was sharing about a church that they had been a part of growing up. And the church divided over one single issue. And it was split right down the middle. And what he said was, he said, you know, the amazing part about that is it was almost all my family. It wasn't just the church divided, but my family divided. You see, Christ has come to unify us with him. And we're unified in him. The world sees division everywhere. And when they look at the church, they often see it. And yet God has called the world to see a church that is unified to be contrary to what the world is doing. And it's in that unity that the world sees who Jesus really is. You see, we can have different opinions about politics. We can have different opinions and experiences that we've carried over in our life. We can come from different economic backgrounds and different cultural backgrounds. But the unity that we have is in Jesus. The one who unifies us is Jesus. It's not that we always think the same way. It's not that we're always in agreement. But it is that we are in agreement about the gospel that for all those who repent and believe have life in Christ. So what's the result then of unity? Well, it says here in verses 9 through 10, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that a name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Unity's result is that Christ is exalted and God is glorified. Unity's result is that Christ is exalted and God is glorified. That's what happens. You see, when Christ ascended into heaven following his death on the cross, it was not that he simply regained the glory he once had before his ascension, but rather additional glory as a result of his triumph over sin, suffering, and death. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. John 17, 4 through 6 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. What happens when we maintain unity within the body of Christ? Christ is exalted. when Christ is exalted, the scriptures tell us that we're given the blessing of being exalted with him. See, as we walk with him, we get to experience his glory. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, To this he calls you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're to live our lives in ways that give praise and adoration to Christ, rather than curses and condemnation. We maintain unity because of Christ's love for us. And unity is maintained 
when his church is focused on his purpose and on his love. And that love then is manifested in the manner in which Christ loved us with humility. With a laying down or the choosing not to cling to his divine rights. I would ask us this week, how do we walk in unity with one another? How do we practically build unity into the body of Christ? What are you thinking about God's purpose and passion in this season? What are you thinking about loving others in the midst of cultural division and disagreement? You see, the church is to be a place that's unified. Unified around Christ and His purpose. And I pray that as the body of Christ, we would walk not in the passions of our own, but we would walk in the passions of Jesus. I've been convicted in my own spirit about that. That I can think in my own head how how I want to deal with certain things or make things right. And I'm reminded, God has a purpose. And His purpose reigns. And I'm reminded that God has called me to love and that to love, it is going to cost me my life means that I'm laying down some of my rights to love well. It means that I'm pushing aside my pride, that even when I feel like maybe I'm justified to do something, that I need to love another person well. You see, when we do it Christ's way, we find satisfaction. Ever found yourself focusing on all the negative things going on in our culture and then finding yourself negative too? Becoming discouraged? Thinking through in your head, running over all the arguments in one direction or the other? I do that. Like, my mind doesn't stop. It just kind of keeps going. It's always there. It's like whatever you put before it, you know? It's, it's like, oh, a carrot, you know? Twinkie. Uh, I mean... I, you just go in the directions, and oh, that's how I'd respond to that, and that's how I'd respond to that, and that's how I'd respond to that. And we can chase that in our culture, and yet Christ is saying, chase my purpose. Because there's no peace when we're, we're frustrated and we're angry by what's going on. Our eyes have to come off of that and on to Christ and His purposes. John Piper puts it this way, he says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. We can have lots of dissatisfaction in the world. But if our eyes are on the things that Christ has called us to, His passion, His purpose, His love, we'll find that we're satisfied. I found in this season that one of the greatest things is that I have gotten to know most of my neighbors far better. And in some cases, better than I want to. Not better than I want to because it's a bad thing, but better than I want to because it's been funny thing. 
embarrassing thing. You see, we need to find our joy in Christ by seeking unity with Him and with others according to His heart and mind. And our minds and hearts need to be aligned with His purpose and His love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be a church that is unified, that's not divided by the things of this world, but is strengthened in the knowledge and the truth and the experience of your love. God, I pray that when the world looks at your church at Redemption Hill, I pray that they see a group of believers who loves you well and loves others well. Who's committed to your purpose. Father, make us a church that is so united in those purposes that those who see, who notice, who engage with us would see your love. Your love for them and the work on the cross. And may we be able to give an answer for our humility. Father, may the world see us as for what we are as opposed to what we're against. purpose reign preeminently in each of our lives. And we ask this in your name. Amen. This time, we're going to take communion together. And for those of you who are here, um, you've been given just some, some communion cup and wafer. And you can take those and you can peel off the top of those as well. The top layer has the wafer and underneath the, the wafer is the the juice. And so if you don't have one, feel free. We've got some that will come around and give those to you as well. I, I'll share with you as we take communion this morning um, that at the heart of this essence of unity is the cross. And when we take communion together, we're not declaring that that communion saves. It's not what the purpose of communion is, but the communion actually is a reminder or a remembrance of what Christ has done. And Christ told his apostles to do it as often as they were together in remembrance of him. And so when we're back together for our first service, again, gathering outside for service in a few weeks, we're reminded of the unity that we have in Jesus, the very essence of what we've just spoken on out of Philippians. And so I want to read this passage, and then we're going to pray together, and then we're going to take communion together. But I want us to refocus on verses 5 through 8 in Philippians 2. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. God's saying, because of the cross, you are able to walk in humility. 
emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So as we take communion this morning, we're going to take the bread. And the bread is representative of Christ's body, that his body was broken for us, that Christ died for us, and he bore the weight and penalty of all sin, which is eternal death. And he granted life to those who repent and believe on Jesus. And so let's go ahead and eat together this morning.